what I do, Derek, when somebody is, when I, when they're clearly emotional, I try to draw attention to that for them and for myself so that I think sometimes we can get very emotional and not even realize it's happened to us. And sometimes just a reminder that maybe we're getting carried along by the, by the wave is it's an opportunity for everybody to sort of take a pause and take a breath and, and maybe even um, take a break. You know, sometimes we set up these meetings and we, want everything to be accomplished within the span of 60 minutes but or 30 minutes or whatever it is. And we don't really create the space for emotion to have a role. And we are human. So the reality is when somebody is getting emotional, it can be a good thing because they're very passionate uh, they're not apathetic. Apathy is certainly much worse than emotion in, in my mind. They're invested if they're emotional. So one, giving someone the space to be emotional and the right to be emotional is a good thing. Welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell. And today's episode is such a very special episode because we take a different direction versus our usual topics of talking deeply about technology, AI, or even business. And we focus on the life cycle of creating healthier human experiences through communication, how to grow and maintain truly collaborative communication environments, especially with customers or clients, as well as the importance of mindfulness in a society that, of course, if you're listening, you're probably being challenged with this today, that is becoming ever more digitally fatigued and increasingly connected. Connie Barnes joins us on the podcast today. And when I say the episode is special, it's really because, and as you'll hear, Connie is truly a great practitioner and mentor, specifically when it comes to communicating with people. She's currently just about to celebrate her 16th year at Microsoft, where she's worked in three different industries. She's held multiple titles from sales roles to managing technical specialists with customers ranging from small and medium business all the way to the enterprise. And today, as a national manager for healthcare and life sciences enterprise sales, she helps customers contemplate the journey to the cloud. So her team provides a data analysis-based service that develops a strategy with recommendations about a customer's journey that is different from what they're doing today on-premises. And her team builds cases that enable transformation. The journey to the cloud for many is pretty difficult because it involves new skill sets, uh, growth mindset, some growth frictions for teams involved at the customer level, both with learning and thinking differently, and guiding organizations into new and uncharted operational capacities. That could be super scary for a lot of people, both in business and IT. And as you'll hear, Connie completely helps navigate how to have these tough conversation. She's such a, a great leader in this area. A ton of learnings for how we all engage with each other in this episode. Most of all, I hope if you're listening, you allow yourself to really soak in what Connie has to say, because I think her teachings are so incredibly valuable for how we all continue to coexist with each other. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, 
please rate the show and comment on what you like about it or what you don't like. It helps me navigate future talk tracks and build a better topic strategy for all of you listening. Thanks once again so much for listening. And now I bring you Connie Barnes. Connie Barnes, how are you today? I am good. Good afternoon. It's afternoon already. I I know it is. Well, happy Friday. And to you. We made it another week down. I know we did. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I'm very happy to have you on today. And I have to admit, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is we've been on a couple of customer calls together in the past. And we'll get on on top of the topic in a little bit here. But I've seen you um, communicate at this level with customers that was just astounding in terms of your ability to have empathy, understand where they were coming from, especially with some of these topics that cause a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later as well. But I've literally seen you in like the in in the, the span of like five minutes go from this charming colleague to a detective to a high school principal and then to an astronaut <laughs> and then back and, and all for the purpose of really communicating the best story and the best um, vision and the reality for some of these customers. So a lot of folks on the West Coast really respect you a lot, and I just wanted to let you know that. Oh, that's very generous. Thank you so much. Definitely. When you reached out to me and asked me to be part of the podcast site, you know, you say yes to these things. And then before um, I'm thinking to myself, I have nothing to say, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I appreciate you. It's you, very kind. Your comments of course. are very kind. No, of course you, you, you got it. Um, so please, um, why don't we kick off by you talking a little bit about um, your career and um, what you do today at Microsoft? So like many people that work at Microsoft, I came from the ecosystem, our partner ecosystem. Um, I came from the learning channel about 16 years ago. So I celebrated my 16-year anniversary this month. And I've had the, the good fortune at Microsoft to be able to uh, have many positions, many experiences. So I've operated in all three segments. Um, our small and medium business segment, our, our larger managed segment, and then our enterprise segment. I have had positions in three different industries, uh, direct sales roles, uh, uh, solution specialist roles, and then most recently, I managed uh, a team of technical specialists. And we do work directly with customers that are contemplating their journey to the cloud. So we do a lot of data analysis, uh, and really help them develop a strategy related to what the data is telling them and how that potentially paints a picture in the cloud different than their on-premise um, implementations. Awesome. And it, it, so it seems like those different concepts have changed or are changing quite a bit um, as we're seeing this transition into the cloud and folks going from an on-premise server environment and they're dealing with licenses and they're dealing with a lot of analog systems. And you've had to probably reinvent yourself and the, the, the organization has probably had to reinvent themselves. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that's very interesting. I think that's the the joy of the culture that is Microsoft is if you're interested in growth, 
uh, and change and, and the opportunity to learn something new, that is what Microsoft affords us. So there's constantly the opportunity to sort of reinvent yourself, not, not just because of this journey to the cloud, which certainly is a, is a huge impetus for us to look at things differently in our interaction with customers, uh, but I think it's in a more meaningful way. So I think it's, it's been very positive for us and our, and our impact and influence within our customers' environments. Um, but yes, we, I mean, you touch on something that's really important is if you don't sort of change related to the, to the industry and the climate and that cloud is, is really, is really important in terms of the innovation that our customers can, uh, can create for their own environment, for their own ability to connect with their customer and also compete. Um, we had to match that. We have to match that within our team. Um, and we had to be very clear what our value could be in that equation um, for the company. And we've been very fortunate in creating a strategy and a vision uh, that we could we could develop and bring people to the table for our customers and for our field partners that we work with, that we could create a compelling vision of a from and to. Um, so it's 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 been a fun journey for the last two years in, in being able to create that. And we're getting so much success uh, with our customers and certainly from folks like you in the field. From, so from a personal level, you know, me coming on board at Microsoft about a year and a half, almost two years ago, there's just so much going on. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to reinvent myself in two years or three years or four years? Um, and, I, and I know the organization is moving quickly and the organization is going to do what it organically does because it has to, you know, we've got shareholders and it has to, it has to dynamically change. We have new leadership. From personal level, how have you, what, what do you do? What are, what are some of the mindsets that you have? Like, how are you changing in the way that you reinvent yourself and, and move forward? How am I, ch- how am I, how do I change or how do I go about setting, um, my personal strategy for reinvention? I think the latter. Okay. So, so for me, um, I am always sort of setting about to, to learn a, a new way to approach a situation. Um, so I'm trying to determine what new skills I need to bring to a scenario to, it could be a job, um, but mostly to get a better outcome. So I think I learned more from reviewing what went went well and what didn't go well in a scenario, either either for my own personal performance or just the approach we take, either in in achieving success, um, going to market with something, um, and determining how I could have done better or how we could have approached a situation better as a team and then being specific for myself. What, what is that North star? And then beginning to trial that in small ways. And that I think leads to you constantly reinventing yourself and being ahead of that sort of learn success and then failure stage, you sort of want to get in front of that potential failure stage because 
know, there's this, there's this concept that as, as we learn, we're sort of, we're, we're sort of climbing up a mountain, right? And then we get to, we've learned everything we can and we're achieving at peak status. And you don't want to start walking down the other side of the mountain and, and sort of declining. Um, I want to climb that next peak and, and continue to learn. So my approach is, is always to sort of deconstruct how I've done something and what I could have done better, we could have done better as a team or as a company. I hope that answers your question. It it completely does. And it reminds me um, of a, a book I just read um, by uh, David Goggins. And he's this, it's called Can't Hurt Me. And I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. And I don't know if you've heard of him. I think he's been on a lot of talk shows and like the Jurgen podcast and all these different things. And he's just an incredible Navy SEAL. And he has this like crazy, super violent, psychologically damaging life and he has these crazy and that now he's like this accomplished person he's like one of the biggest ultra marathon runners in the world and he's like done all this crazy stuff and the one thing that he attributes one of the things he attributes to his success is doing these after action reports so and it just instantly when you're talking about this it just made me think about david goggins and how he improves and he says it's kind of something the military does so when you have a failure you analyze the failure you do you understand what you did well you look at what you did wrong and then you're real with yourself about what you have to do better in the future and that's that's essentially what you're saying that you kind of do on a personal level yes i think that was it was uh that was really well stated uh good summary on that and i love the the concept after action right i mean it's just um it's so it's such a great reminder of going back all the time and sort of ensuring that you can either learn from the success because I think learning from our successes and doing more of those things are important too, sort of an acceleration. Um, but I love after action. It's good two words. Yeah, definitely. I, I like it too. It's easy to remember. Yes. So I, I'd love to drill in a little bit more about some of these hard conversations that you had, and um, not to get overly technical. But um, I, I'd love for you to just kind of high level talk about um, some of these engagements that, that you've done with customers. And I know there's a difference in some folks may not understand this terminology, but we have this, this thing called a software asset management engagement. And then there's situations when Microsoft has to hire a third party to do compliance verifications or audits. And these situations can get a little bit hairy on both sides. And I was wondering if you can kind of add some color about what that is and some hard conversations that you've had or a hard conversation that you've had that you learned from. Sure. Well, I think, um, I think the main thing that I've learned in, in working with customers over the past couple of decades or just working with people is effective communication really starts with listening and, uh, and humility. So, you know, from, from my point of view, I'm not always good at it. Um, but I think some of the techniques that have worked for me when I have to have a challenging conversation with someone is remembering to be 
really invested in the moment, not thinking about what I want the outcome to be um, or what I am going to say next. It's really ensuring that I understand the customer's perspective, that at the end of the day, reminding myself, um, we really do have the customer's best in mind. We want the best for this customer, but there's individuals involved and um, emotions can run high. And the, I think the key thing is to make sure that I'm not setting out to change anyone's point of view. Right. So, so for me, that's really critical is to make sure I'm listening to sort of how they got to their point of view. Um, and there's lots of ways to get to a successful outcome. So I think uh, trying to ensure that we're creating an opportunity or a climate for collaboration uh, means that we can challenge each other. So we can, you know, sort of have a conversation that is, um, is collaborative and communicative and at the end of the day reaches a successful outcome for everyone involved because um, at the end of the day, we just want success. Both of us want to achieve success, right? And so um, I can't be stuck to my point of view. And then a lot of the time, you know, maybe offering, um, if, if I want to sort of give the customer a potential additional lens, like a different lens to look at their challenge and a potential solution, it could be by sharing an approach from another a, another customer that took you know, had a similar challenge and um, although no two situations are exactly the same, uh, maybe there's another way to look at this challenge or the potential success and would they like to look at it through another customer's point of view and how they approached it uh, but I would say overall make sure you're trying to find a, a, a point of collaboration and you're being an effective listener and not just sort of expressing your point of view um, are, are ways that we've managed to to have difficult conversations with customers and have a successful outcome. That, that's incredible. And I really, what stuck with me is that you're saying what you said about remembering to really invest in the moment. And I mean, even today when we got on the, on the, the phone before we started the, the chat, you know, you mentioned, Oh, you know, I have a lake over here. And I had, I told you I would call the, your lake out that you, that you have a, a beautiful <laughs> view of. And you're looking out at this lake, like I, I can just see you. And you're like, took a breath and you're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just in the moment right now. And I'm like, oh my God, like I, I just drank three cups of coffee. Like my blood is racing. I can, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I am in the opposite of Connie right now. Um, uh, but it's, and I, and I think I would, we're going to get more into this conversation here shortly. And I love this. What are the biggest challenges to creating this environment for collaboration. And I've seen you do this and, you know, you take leadership and in some of these calls and I've been on a difficult call with you where a customer was basically saying that they didn't want to have, give us access to their data because they were afraid of us doing something with it. And we don't do anything dangerous with, with customers' data. We're very agnostic. 
you were just listening and I wanted to say something. I think you IM'd me on the side and said, Hey, just let the customer talk. Let me do the talking. We don't just like basically shadow you. And you, you created this environment for collaboration and you were just listened and the customer spoke and you were quiet for a while. Um, and there were other folks on the call. What is the biggest challenge you think in doing that? Is it, is it listening? Is it keeping others from destroying that environment you're trying to create? Is it guiding and allowing the customer to get there on their own? Well, I think there's every, every situation is unique. And people come, everyone that's going to be part of the discussion is going to come with their point of view, um, their set of challenges, their, their, um, their preconceived notion. So, so for me, I think the things that sabotage the opportunity to be collaborative are emotion and a fixed mindset. So if you're, if you're very convinced of what the outcome needs to be, then you're less inclined to think that there is a need to listen to the customer. But if, if, I, if I believe when I'm going into a situation and talking with a customer that at the end of the day, they're the ones that have to have the clarity and clarity is key. Does the customer have clarity on either the problem that they're trying to solve or the opportunity that they're trying to meet. If they if they're not, let's help them get there. Can they identify those things? Because when we all are really clear around the problem or the opportunity, then we're collaborating and and we're sort of creating this opportunity to work towards a common solution. But if I think I know everything when I walk in the door, then and and the conversation starts to go in the opposite direction, well, then, you know, I've got my fishing pole and I'm trying to reel it back in. And instead of listening, I'm trying to interject myself into it, right? So, um, and, and we can find ourselves doing that, right? Because we, we might have the idea, we might have it, we might be very excited about what we think is possible. Um, but in, in the midst of that, the customer's not bought in, right? If, ev- if everyone's not bought in, um, you know, you may convince someone in the moment, but they're not really, they're not really on the team. And, and we, need, we need to all be on the same team. So, so for me, I try to go into every situation and I'm not successful 100% of the time, obviously, because mm-hmm. I'm human, but I try to go into every situation with a sense of calm um, and clarity and, and just kindness for the people that I'm, I'm going to interface with that day. And, and what is my goal? You know, what's my role here um, f- you know, to benefit everyone that's involved? So and then to be humble. At the end of the day, I mean, I don't have all the answers. Uh, so it is that sense of collaboration that is going to lead to the best outcome, right? Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned, uh, I like what you said about sabotage. And I don't, I don't know if you were a consultant by trade before Microsoft or in, in your past, but it, 
you have all these frameworks and these frameworks just like work so beautifully. And when I'm thinking about them and writing them down, these lessons, and you mentioned that sabotage and is made up of emotion and fixed mindset. So the, I guess the best way that you approach these situations is you mentioned not, you know, coming in with a, a like very calmly, um, not being emotionally invested in, your outcomes or the customer's outcomes um is it is it hard to be patient if the other person on the other line is emotional and has a fixed mindset it can be for sure right i mean because we all have certain you know buttons that can be pushed um and i think what I do, Derek, when somebody is, when I, when they're clearly emotional, I try to draw attention to that for them and for myself so that I think sometimes we can get very emotional and not even realize it's happened to us. And sometimes just a reminder that maybe we're getting carried along by the, by the wave is it's an opportunity for everybody to sort of take a pause and take a breath and, and maybe even um, take a break. You know, sometimes we set up these meetings and we want everything to be accomplished within the span of 60 minutes but, or yeah. 30 minutes or whatever it is. And we don't really create the space for emotion to have a role. And we are human. So the reality is when somebody's getting emotional, it can be a good thing because they're very passionate. Uh, they're not apathetic. Apathy is certainly much worse than emotion in, in my mind. They're invested if they're emotional. So one, giving someone the space to be emotional and the right to be emotional is a good thing. And so thinking, changing your own opinion on, on how the person is responding to you is sometimes a good strategy to remain calm when someone else is frustrating you, either because they have a fixed mindset or because they're very emotional. Um, and then again, you don't have to achieve everything in one meeting or in mm -hmm. an hour span. Give the, give the individual the time to change their mind with space um, is, is I think what can work well in a highly charged situation. So, so remembering, remembering that we're human and I, I'm, I'm digging into this because I've been on a number of emotional calls uh, for myself as well. Like I was emotionally charged and I, there was internal colleagues on calls that were emotionally charged and I've been on them. Just, just recently, some emotionally charged customer calls as well from that side. Um, so I'm, I think a lot of people have interest in this. Um, and you, you mentioned having attention focused on the other person's emotions. And the solution behind that you were mentioning is just is remaining calm and kind of slowing down. And then, or do you, do you typically call that out? Are you, do you typically try to guide folks like, Hey, um, I know this is an important topic and we, we can be, we can easily get emotional here. I mean, do you actually call it out or do you 
let your silence do the work? I can at times. I mean, you have to read your audience well and make sure that you're not being condescending. I, but I, I often with someone will say, you're, you are clearly very passionate about this situation and, and, it, and it clearly has an effect on you. And I want to understand more about that because if you allow them to explain why they're so passionate about it, or if it's a situation that's causing them to become emotionally charged, there might be something there you don't know that has brought them to this place and getting that on the table and out of the way is sometimes the only way that you can move on. And sometimes trust has been betrayed or broken or commitments have been made that haven't been kept. And you, if you don't ask the question and, and ask the customer or to ask one of your peers, if it's other people you're working with, clearly this is a, a charged situation for you. I want to understand more about that and how, how we got here you may never be able to solve the underlying problem because you don't have enough data. And I do think that most people try to operate with everyone's best interest in mind. Um, and they just can't find the path to sort of that, that mutual handshake. Right. And, and so, so yeah, for, for me, I might call that out very specifically and say, I, I can tell this is, you're really passionate about this. Tell me more. I would lean into it as opposed to try to deny it, uh, that deny that it's happening. Let, you know, let, let's lean into the situation and f- find out more about why this is so, so emotionally charged or so why the individual is so passionate. I'm totally getting reminded. I, I, I love, I'm a, I'm a pretty big uh, book reader and I, I read this book, uh, Getting to Yes. Uh, you might have you might have heard of yes. it. It's a, yeah, it's a negotiation book, and I'll put a, a link to that book in the show notes. And reading it, it was an it was an emotional journey for the book because it was you know talked about Batna. What was it? Better, um, better something to a negotiated agreement. Um, alternative, better alternative to a negotiated agreement. So understanding your Batna, like if you understand your customer's best alternative, then you understand what to position yourself. And that was obviously clear in negotiation, but there was all these components of you never walk away from the table. Um, And we've seen folks in politics walk away from big tables before uh, recently. You never walk away from a deal or never walk away from a table um, to allow for collaboration, to try to understand the other person's position to really try to work together and put to, put together an offer that considers what they need to get out of, of the deal or the negotiation. Um, and it seems like all the points that you're talking about were all points covered in that book. Like these are, these are like monumental negotiation tactics, but not from a, a sales perspective, but just, every, you know, we negotiate every day, whether it's, I, I need to get my daughter to eat, greens and, and spinach and not ice cream. So I'm like having to add, you know negotiate there. But essentially what we're describing here is this negotiation profile for how to deal with human beings. 
I think you're right. It, it, everything that we do is just sort of the negotiation of the human experience, right? So whether you can put whatever, you know, sort of job on it that you want to a title, right? But at the end of the day, it, it's, it's all about human interaction and staying hum, humble in the midst of, of that can be hard. Um, and staying patient can be hard. Um, and reminding yourself that you can't really make anyone do anything. Everyone has a choice and they will exercise that choice. So, um, you know, whether it's with your child, a customer, a colleague, it, it is hopefully trying to make sure you do give someone the space to, you know, come, come to the same conclusion that you have on something or you give yourself the space to change your mind um, and, at, and to keep that relationship going. Because I think what you're talking about in the book and what the book talks about is don't have, don't walk away, right? Leave space to continue to dialogue because there is a solution and, and keeping the confidence that there is a solution that um, all can benefit from. I, I, you know, I love that too, the, the negotiation of the human experience and just listening to that. And it reminds me of, um, uh, so John Donovan, he's the CEO of AT&T Communications and he did this podcast episode with Dr. Michael Gervais. Yes. And I had a friend of mine, um, shoot me the, the link and said, Hey, listen to this. And apparently John Donovan said that he focused for an entire year of noticing his ego, just noticing it, just, just putting attention to it. And for an entire year, and you know, he's this CEO and I don't know how many thousand, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people he manages or, or people report up to him. But it was just, it was just observing the ego for a year. And then after that, he's like, I'm going to have a no ego space. So I'm not going to have an ego any longer. <laughs> so he would create these no ego spaces. And he mentioned that when people, his direct reports and people in the organization came to him and he noticed that they had an ego, he would immediately call it out, tell them that they're in a no ego space, allow them to crawl out of that humble hole <laughs> and, yeah. and, he would be able to have a way better experience with these people. And it just like, I try to do it for a day. <laughs> it was the hardest <laughs> thing. Try to do it for an hour. And it was just like, immediately I was like, Oh my God. But uh, you, you just reminded me of that conversation. And, um, I really like that. And I think this is a good, I think it's a good segue into some of the things that we wanted to really dive in deeper with. And so you have this, you have this technology background, Connie, You've uh, managed teams and programs and, and systems, um, doing all kinds of really great things at Microsoft and things that predate Microsoft. Uh, you're reinventing yourself. You're part of the reinvention of the Microsoft team and the organization and leadership. And you're, I mean, you're uh, amazing with dealing with, with data. I mean, you're like visualizations, applications. I mean, you've, you've delivered 
some really great executive uh, presentations of scanning a, a customer's environment, looking at all their databases, looking at all the different opportunities for them to migrate these databases and applications and which applications to, to sunset and which ones to keep. And just an incredible technology side. But then you also have this side, uh, this staying in the moment and being a calm person and being a whole person. And obviously today it's like impossible to get off your phone. It's impossible to stay in the moment for a lot of people. Like let's talk about your ideas about what that whole port, that whole person means and what it means for all of us as we are continuing to be these cybernetic organisms as Elon Musk would put it, because you know, we have a, we have a, 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 a supercomputer in our pocket. Like how, how do we remain humans in this era? I do think that's a challenge. I do think we're overscheduled. We are always available. Uh, I do think it's important to, as as much as I love technology and, and it runs my life, it's how I schedule where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. It's how I remember to do things that are important and critical. And the the ability to have information and data at our fingertips and the power that gives us to learn and to grow beyond our own small corner of the world is amazing. Uh, The power that we have in information because of technology is phenomenal. Um, and And in a way, it does make us more human because we are able to see what other people experience in other places in the world um, or what other people's opinions are, points of view are that we maybe never would have been exposed to without technology. I think that is amazing. But at the same time, we have to be able to pull away from data and information and inputs and be one-on-one with a person as a human and if we're over scheduled or always on we can't really invest in that moment so allowing people to, to be a whole human a whole person in every situation is so to, to me it's it's so important um and so I do like my technique, I have a few different techniques that I use to sort of remind myself to, to be human in the moment of, of an overscheduled and technology driven world is I do have a day where I don't really use technology. Um, I'm away from my phone. I'm not on the TV. I um, love podcasts and I love reading digital books, but I'm just experiencing being unplugged. And for some people, that's not reasonable. They can't do that. Um, you know, it's not a realistic goal. But I think when, but to experience nature and, and humanity one-on-one with people without having something in between you, at, at least giving yourself the opportunity to have that at intervals is really important. Um, and to make sure that when you schedule interaction with someone, if it needs to be scheduled, it's the right amount of time 
to be in that moment with them and to truly be present. Uh, and I, I think that is, it is how we are, how we become whole and, and bring all of our best self to every situation. And, and obviously like this is, obviously you've spent a lot of time thinking about this and, and doing this. Um, so I'm, I'm almost coming to you just, just as if, if I saw, if it was, you know, March, which it is, and I saw some, some dude at the gym and he was in great shape and I wanted to, I wanted to lose a couple of pounds. I'd go up to him and start to say, Hey man, like, what are, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Cause I'm obviously not doing it. And, um, I'm thinking the same, uh, when, when listening to you. So I, I've taken some digital, digital holidays. I usually try to make it on a Sunday. But then I, I started thinking to myself, oh, and I, work, I wake up pretty early. I wake up at 4.15 every day just to get everything done. I need to get done before my, my children are, are awake. And I, I have this like super intense routine that I follow. And there's meditation and all these different things in there. But technology is just laden throughout all of that. And I'm probably better than most of my friends with how I use technology. And it's still just completely... Um, overtaking my life. And like I, on Sundays, I, I started just having that, that's today, you know, sweetheart, that today's going to be a digital holiday and I'm not going to get my phone. My wife's like, Oh, that's so great for you, honey. You know, she doesn't have an issue. So she could be on Instagram. She's like, you know, more like you than more like me. And, uh, and then it became, well, I'm just gonna get this work done on Sunday morning. And then, Oh, I just want to see if someone got back to me on that thing. And then, oh, I'm going to text my buddy. And then you just, the moment, the digital momentum just starts to catch up to you until it completely eats you. It's um, true. So like for us, for folks that are struggling with it and maybe are looking for a system and a technique to master, even in front of the, the you know, Microsoft employees and, and customers and our colleagues and people in technology who have to be masters of technology, like what, what are some things that we can do Maybe perhaps during the during the week, I suppose um, that you do that will help you stay in the moment more and and, and listen to, to customers more and just be more involved in in different processes in the day to day. I don't think that we always realize we're not in the moment, and acknowledging that is is hard. So I, I try a few different things. I have a mindfulness practice or I meditate every day. I have a, a period of time every day before I allow the day to overtake me where I am being very um, specific, intentional about how I'm going to invest my time and talent that day so that the world doesn't overtake me because, you know, you give a little bit and it's a slippery slope. So um, I like you wake up very early in the morning between 4.30 and 5 every day. And I have my non-negotiables that I do every day to put myself in the right frame of mind to honestly show restraint, to hold back from doing the things that, um, I really don't want to be doing. I don't want to be mindlessly uh, looking at social media. Uh, I don't want to, you know, mindlessly allow my calendar or email to overtake the priorities of my day. So 
for me, if I have that time every day to ensure before I start my day that I meditate, I work out, I, I, am, I listen to something that I think is inspiring to me and sets my path in the right direction. And then I set uh, upon the day with my goals, what I want to achieve professionally and personally today. And I schedule those things. And then I, I find myself in a better position to show restraint when things want to creep up on me. Because if I have a thousand decisions I need to make all day of saying no to something, uh, to a better alternative, I'm exhausted by the end of the day and I don't have any more restraint left to say no, right? To, you know, I, w- I then mindlessly, well, I want to do something mindless, yep. right? Instead of something productive. So I have to fill my, my tank at the beginning I have to be super mindful about what I want my day to look like and and schedule my day accordingly so that I am not um, exhausted by the decisions I might otherwise have to make to say no. So focus, focused, uh, focus and, and be intentional about how you're spending your time. Very intentional. Yes. Very intentional. Yes. Which which is freaking hard when you like, it, it takes repetitions. Like how do you, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I do that. I have a journal. I have a certain schema pattern I, I follow when I write in the journal, and it's um, just quickly. It's I, I put three things down that made the previous day a good day. I put the time I woke up. I put a, like a, an emotional happy face or emoji next to it based upon how I'm feeling, and I put critical objectives of things I have to get done that day. That will that if I don't get anything else done, those two things or three things will make that day a good day. Um, and then I put some thoughts about what, how I'm feeling. And if, if something happened that didn't make me feel good, I kind of write it down and, and write down like things that I, I could do to make myself feel better in the future. And then 10 a.m. hits. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, my journal's like, you know, on fire <laughs> someplace. It's an onslaught. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so great, Connie. So I know we're wrapping up uh, upon the hour here. Um, what kind of, what kind of books and podcasts are you, are you reading nowadays that you just enjoy? Oh, there's several podcasts and then a book I'm really enjoying right now. Um, so I listen to, um, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Um, and I listen to Happier in Hollywood with, um, uh, Liz, um, Liz Craft and Seraphine. Uh, and then I listen to the Sherry and Nancy show. I listen to, um, what is this other one I've been listening to? They, they take a self-help book, Derek. It's fascinating. I'll, I'll, I'll remember and then let you know, but they take the self-help book and they, they, they live it for a week and then they report back on it. They like live it to the T and then they report back on it. So I'll have to get that. Oh, man, um, that that would too. It is fascinating. Um, and I'm reading legacy right now, which is the, um, it's the story of, of the all blacks, New Zealand rugby team. And it's just been fascinating. I, I love it. Um, so I can, I can highly recommend that as well. Really wow. Yep. That's, that's so great. 
I mean, just the culture and the experience, you could tell so much from someone just by listening to what they, they listen to and, and, and read. And like, I, and, and me and you being very different people, like all the stuff I listened to was like how to win military, <laughs> military tactics. <laughs> you know, it's, maybe I need to start listening to podcasts with the word happy in them. <laughs> and, uh, it'll give me a little bit more energy. Uh, and then, so one last question. Yes. Um, who is someone that you admire that you could publicly um, just mm. name and then maybe uh, a quick reason why? Yes. I mean, I guess there's a lot of different people I admire just, you know, because of their different sphere of influence on my life. Um, but I would say I really admire my brother. Um, he he has uh, he's taking care of my parents who are elderly, very elderly, and one and my mother is my mother suffers from Alzheimer's, and he is one of the most uh, giving, humble, and just generous people I know, and I just he inspires me every day. So it's in my brother. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Connie. So for folks that want to get a hold of you, uh, is LinkedIn, I assume, the best way? Or um, LinkedIn is great. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I'll share your profile in the show notes. And uh, I really appreciate you having or you coming on the podcast, Connie. This was super enlightening. I knew I'd get a lot out of it. And I think a lot of people will. And I, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for, for asking me. Um, I, I really enjoyed our time. Thanks. Definitely. Definitely. We'll have a great Friday and hopefully we talk soon. Thank you. Same to you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.